tonight is session one of a four-part series that we're doing on the supernatural. Uh, session one is about angels. And um, I'm going to be I'm largely indebted to the author, American author, Michael Heiser, who's written a book on angels. He's written a book on, on the supernatural world, on the unseen realm, and, and one on demons, among other books. He's an incredible scholar. And I've drawn a lot of material and inspiration from him in this series. Um, his books can be quite heavy reading, so I've tried to make this as simple and, and easy to access as possible. So we live in two realities, the one that we can see and that the one that we can't. Right now, as you're watching this, the surface of your eye is teeming with microbial life. There are viruses and fungi that, that are living in the surface of, of the film that is over your eye. The fact that you can't see it with your naked, well, eye, doesn't mean that it's not there, it's there. In fact, it's part of the healthy um, functioning of the biome or the ecosystem of your eye. You need it. Similarly, even though you can't see gravity, you can see its effect. You can see it if you drop something. I, I dropped my my phone today and it has a cracked lens so I couldn't see the gravity pulling it to the ground but I can certainly see the consequence of it. Gravity also affects us on a celestial level. Um, gravity is the difference between us enjoying a sunny uh, midwinter Durban afternoon and being fried to a crisp um, if we were drawn too close to, to the sun. So the fact that we can't see something doesn't mean that it isn't there. And, and the same is true of the supernatural world. The supernatural world, according to the Bible, is, is every bit as real as the world that we experience day to day. Every major religion, including Christianity, recognizes its reality, although, of course, there's a very wide range of descriptions and perspectives on the supernatural realm. In tonight's discussion, we're going to take a brief exploratory journey into the world of angels. This is really no more than an, introdu an introduction to the subject. Um, we simply don't have the space and time to go into it in any detail, but we are going to, to get at least a glimpse into the world of angels and hopefully pick up some interesting stuff in, in the questions and answers as well. From the scriptures, it is evident that there are a range of supernatural beings in the heavenly realm and that there is a hierarchy to these beings. I'm going to read from Psalm 82 and pick out one or two ideas from there. The first um, verse reads as follows. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, give justice to the weak and the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding, they walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Listen to this. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince." So in this text, a reference is made to, to the council of God. That's a council with a C-I-L, not S-E-L. It, it means an assembly, typically an assembly of people for a specific purpose. 
think of the town council that runs a city. So this is a council of gods, lowercase g, um, who are supernatural beings who are not like God with capital letter G, who is uncreated, omnipotent, omnipresent, um, omniscient, but created beings who are supernatural. And, and it appears that, that God has, has placed these supernatural beings with authority over geographical regions. And he's taking issue with them because they have not governed justly. So these gods, um, Elohim in, in, in the Hebrew, which is exactly the word that we have for the tri, triune God, but, but obviously a slightly different idea because they're not, they're not eternal in the same way that the uncreated Yahweh is, um, are created and have supernatural power, but not, not the kind of power that God wields. They are part of the heavenly host. And when we hear the phrase heavenly host, we think of angels. But it's perhaps a little bit more uh, complex than that. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go through a couple of terms that are applied to, to angelic beings and divine beings throughout the scriptures. And we're going to look at what each of them means and why it's significant to us. The first term is messenger. The most common reference to angels in the Old Testament is the term malak, or in plural malakim, which simply means messenger. Indeed, there are instances in the Old Testament where the, the word malak applies to people um, and, and to prophets, because in the context of those particular uses, they are messengers from God. And so angels are messengers from God, typically with a message from God to specific individuals. Our word angel comes from the Greek angelos in the New Testament and is used exclusively for supernatural messengers. The second term that we see being applied to angels um, in the Old Testament is the word minister. Um, think in terms of priests who minister or serve in the temple to get an idea of the kind of activity that is being conveyed. Psalm 104 tells us that God makes his angels, or malakim, wins his ministers as flaming fire. Prophets such as Elijah and even Jesus are described as being ministered to by angels. There's an example which we'll look at in more detail, Matthew 4.11, if you want to look that up. So the idea is that, that angels come and serve God's purposes, but also serve um, those who are serving God. The third term which is applied to angels is watcher. Um, the term ir um, or irin in plural is an Aramaic, Aramaic term which occurs three times in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 4, verse 13, 17, and 20, 23. Um, I'll read. It says, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay on my bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. This is a description given by Nebuchadnezzar of the dream that he had, which he wanted interpreted, in which Daniel ultimately interpreted on his behalf. The description of the watcher in Daniel is important, as the watcher is not only involved in the vision given to Nebuchadnezzar, 
but also in the decision made of the punishment to be meted out to Nebuchadnezzar for his arrogance. Have a look at what it says. It says, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers. In other words, the watchers, the angelic beings, had a say in, in how Nebuchadnezzar would both be punished and be brought to his senses. Another term which is used for angelic beings is um, the host, the heavenly host, also the mighty ones. The host um, is a Hebrew word, sabah, uh, or sabaot in plural, mighty, one, mighty ones is gibberim. It's best to consider these Hebrew terms as a group since they ostensibly pertain to the same functional service to Yahweh, that of serving in his heavenly army. Whilst the term host or mighty ones is not specifically used in this verse, uh, a dramatic example of the angel armies is found in Kings, chapter 6, verse 15 to 19. This is um, Elijah and his, his servant. When the servant of the man of God, Elijah in this instance, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah, Elisha prayed, sorry, not Elijah, Elisha. Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So, so here we see that the angelic host are depicted in, 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 in a moment of revelation where the veil is torn away of this um, physical realm, and they could see, Elisha and his servant could see into the supernatural realm. And the, the heavenly hosts, the armies of angels, are described as being um, surrounding them, surrounding the mountain in chariots, horses and chariots of fire. Um, angels are also referred to as mighty ones or gibberim in Psalm 103, verse 20, which reads, Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, his mighty ones, who do his word. So the gibberim or the mighty ones are described as the angels who fulfill the commandment of God. Another term, which is quite surprising, um, which is used to refer to, to angels, um, and, and in this instance, a specific function of, of a particular angel, is a mediator, or, or melis in, in, in Hebrew. In Job 33, Elihu, one of Job's miserable comforters, rebukes him as follows. Man is also rebuked, this is um, Elihu speaking, man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen, and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit, referring to death, and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one of the thousand, 
to declare to a man what is right for him. And he is merciful to him and says, Deliver him from going down into pit. I have found a ransom. So, so here an angel is described as being a mediator, one who, who mediates between man and God, which is a prefiguring of Christ um, in the role of the ultimate mediator between God and man. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, we read, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So here, the angel Melis, or mediator, is seen as a, um, a prefiguring of the function of Jesus. The sixth form of, of angelic being, although not specifically, not accurate, not technically an angel, but certainly a heavenly being, are the cherubim and seraphim. Now, when you think of cherubs, you think of um, fat babies with wings, um, bouncing around on fluffy clouds. That's not how the Bible describes it at all. Um, before you, you call some um, cute infant a cherub, maybe think about what I'm about to say. Uh, the terms cherubim and seraphim refer to supernatural beings in the throne room of God. Michael Heiser says the following. In fact, both Hebrew terms describe the same function guardianship of the very presence of God. Hartenstein notes, seraphim and cherubim both belong to the so-called mechwizen hybrid figures. This means that they are combining attributes from various animals and from humans. We find such beings in the ancient Near East, especially in contexts necessary to represent power and to prevent evil. Both are said to have wings, though the number varies. Look at Exodus 25 and Isaiah 6. Cherubim are at times assigned four faces and both human and bovine body parts. Seraphim is the plural form of serap, a Hebrew word also translated as snake. These descriptions are reflected in iconography from the biblical period. Neither is ever qualified with the term malak, which is angel, so it is incorrect to think of cherubim and seraphim as angels. So, so a seraph is most likely a winged serpent, which is not really what, how you want to think of a cute little chubby baby. So, so those are the, the six um, supernatural forms that, are, that I'd like to discuss. I'm going to now look at a couple of special angels mentioned in the Bible, and we're going to look at, at what these angels do. The first and most important is the what we find in the Old Testament referred to as um, the angel of the Lord. Michael Heiser again uh, says the following of the angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord. Exodus 23 verse 20 to 22 is a fundamental passage in understanding the identity of the angel of Yahweh. It says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. On its surface, the description of this particular angel draws interest because the angel seemingly has the authority to withhold forgiveness for the sin of disobedience. The wording is reminiscent of the scene in the Gospels where Jesus claimed that authority. 
The Pharisees objected, saying, Who can forgive sins but God alone? Their consternation reflected good theology. They were right. As Jesus proceeded to do miraculous acts, he showed that he had such authority because he was God. The same thought process is applicable to the angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh is so important. We see the angel of Yahweh um, in several places in the Old Testament. Think of Moses in the burning bush. Um, encounters Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. Think of um, Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord through the night and, and being transformed and, and being forever changed in the way that he walked because of his encounter with, with the angel of Yahweh. Both of these, scholars say, are pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus. This is actually Jesus, one of the Godhead, appearing in angelic form. Um, the second important uh, angel I'd like to mention is Michael. Michael is an archangel. Remember I mentioned that there is a hierarchy of angelic beings, and an archangel is a powerful angel having authority over other angels. Um, he's referred to in the book of Jude as contending with Satan for the body of Moses. That scene is actually not found anywhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, it's, it appears to come from extra-biblical sources. He is also referred to in Revelation 12, verses 7 to 9, as contending with the angel armies of the great dragon, Satan. So again, Michael is one of the heavenly host, one of the angel armies of God. The third major angel I'm going to refer to is Gabriel. Gabriel is an important angel who stands in the presence of God, which is a heavenly council reference and is also sent to announce both the arrival of John the Baptist to Zechariah, his father, and the imminent arrival of Jesus to Mary. I'm going to read those texts that we found in Luke chapter 1, um, from verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. Again, in Luke 1, chapter 26, it reads, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Gabriel fulfills a very important function. Um, one of messengers, uh, of, of a messenger, of a, a message of great importance, which must be taken seriously. So those are, are some of the angels we, who are mentioned by name um, in the Old and in the New Testament. I'm now going to um, move to my next section, being myths and misunderstandings. And I'm going to address uh, three questions that are frequently asked and, and see if we can't find some insight to them. The first is, and, and this seems a little obvious, but perhaps it isn't quite as obvious as it may first appear. Do angels have wings? In, in almost every representation of angels in, in Western iconography or in popular culture, angels are depicted with wings. The short answer is no, they don't. Um, they have the appearance of men in every description in the Bible. Sometimes they're described as having arms like beryl, which is uh, yellow jasper, or perhaps opal, and legs like burnished bronze, so kind of shiny and fiery, but are generally, in most instances, 
indistinguishable from men. Indeed, Paul warns us to show hospitality to strangers because some have done so and, en and entertained angels unawares. Sometimes they're described as having dazzlingly white clothes. So, so angels look like us, sometimes with, with some defining features which are different, but, but generally they look like us. On the other hand, cherubim and seraphim, as I mentioned earlier, are described as having wings, but these are not angels per se. Um, they also don't look much like the, the angels in popular culture. Second question, Christians become angels when they die. No. Jesus says that in the resurrection we become like angels in that we neither marry nor are given in marriage. That's in Matthew 22, verse 30, and Mark 12, verse 25. We do not become angels, nor are hops a likely permanent feature of our eternal destiny, nor fluffy clouds for that matter. Um, third question. Can Christians command angels? Now, I've, I've seen Christians commanding angels all over the place, and it's left me with a deep sense of disquiet. There is not one instance in the Bible, not one, where humans command or are given authority to command angels. I think that this idea may have arisen um, from a misunderstanding of the Matthew text of the temptation of Jesus. I'm going to read it from Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 to 11. Then the devil took him, Jesus, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord of your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all of these things I will give you. Um, if you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. Then the devil left, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So the text that Satan um, quotes there, and quotes accurately, is Psalm 91. It says, for he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What's important for us is that the one who commands angels concerning us, or in the context, Jesus, is he. It's the everlasting one. It's God himself. God commands angels. In fact, if you look at almost every instance where an angel speaks to a human, the human falls down in terror and doesn't know what to do with themselves and has to be reminded by the angel that, that they too are, are servants of the Most High and that, that they're not to be worshipped and that, that the humans need to stand on their feet and perhaps calm down a little. So uh, that's the material I, I intended to cover. Um, hopefully by now we'll have one or two questions that we can address. Said Raymond looking very hopefully towards Cathy. Mm -hmm.